This audio presentation was pre-recorded and edited for brevity and clarity. Hello, I'm Michael Buckley with the Bright Focus Foundation. I want to welcome you to today's Bright Focus chat. Today's chat is how low vision services can help you. If this is your first time on a Bright Focus chat, welcome. And let me take a moment to tell you uh, about Bright Focus and, and what we'll do today. Bright Focus Foundation funds some of the top researchers in the world. We support scientists all around the globe that are trying to find cures for macular degeneration, glaucoma, and Alzheimer's. And we share the latest news and, and, and developments from these scientists with families that are impacted by these diseases. We have a number of free publications and plenty of materials on our website, brightfocus.org, that offer tips for living with diseases such as macular degeneration. And today's Bright Focus chat is another way of sharing this information. We're really fortunate to be joined uh, today by someone who, who was on a chat a little over a year ago. That's Dr. Ranju Prasad with the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. Dr. Prasad, thank you for, for uh, coming back and, and joining us again. And I wonder if we could just start off with uh, you telling us a little bit about your, uh, your background. Yes, of course. Uh, thank you so much for having me again. It's my pleasure to be uh to uh, be here. Um, currently, I'm the director of the Penn Center for Low Vision. It's part of the Shea Eye Institute, which is the uh, Department of Ophthalmology of the University of Pennsylvania Health System. And I've actually been working here uh, for about 16 years, been the director for about a year. So I've been here for a while. I've been doing this for a long time. Well, that's great. And yeah. just out of curiosity, how did you yeah. end up um, uh, choosing this line of work? Um, when I was a fourth-year optometry student, I had the opportunity to observe and work with a, another low-vision optometrist for, uh, for a three-month rotation, and she was also a low-vision specialist. So um, when I was uh, working with her, um, I saw the magic that she did with some of these patients who, um, you know, who had vision loss and who had a lot of difficulties and basically watched her improve their quality of life. And I just knew right then and there um, that's what I wanted to do. And uh, she ended up being my mentor and my colleague, and I have the utmost uh, regards for her. Her name is Dr. Janet Steinberg, and she was also the former director here. Wow. Well, that's yeah. great. And yeah. really struck by your use of the word magic to describe, uh, to describe it. It's really, really impressive. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So today we'll be talking about how low vision services can help you. And a question that's already been submitted, um, I think, is a great way to get started. Uh, Linda from Maryland was wondering if you could define what is low vision. Like, is there a specific number? You know, twenty, thirty, you know, whatever. Like, what, we hear the word, the phrase low vision a lot, but I'm not sure folks exactly know what it means. So I was wondering if you could um, uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, um, I, I understand because a lot of people I have people asking me the same question again, do I have low vision? What is low vision? But I basically define it as a reduction in visual function as a result of an eye disease, which cannot be corrected with surgery, medications, and or conventional glasses or contacts. So it's basically anyone who's been diagnosed with an eye condition, such as macular degeneration, glaucoma, uh, diabetic retinopathy, or any of the hereditary eye diseases, among many others, and who have a reduction in function because of their love, because of their vision, and I've seen in many situations where people have uh, don't have much vision loss, where their visual acuity is essentially pretty good. They can still drive, but it, they have problems with glare or they have problems with detail. So, as I said, it's anybody who can't do the things that they used to do the, the way they would like to. That's interesting. So, so it sounds it's more of a 
a description than a numeric thing. Correct. Um, so, Dr. Prasad, what would you suggest be the first step for someone who is hoping to make the most out of their remaining vision? Well, the first step would be um, to let their doctors know, to just tell them that they're, what their difficulties are. I'm having problems reading. I'm having problems seeing faces. Um, and then the doctor, their eye doctor, will then at, probably ask them a little more detailed questions and probably refer them to somebody who would be able to help them achieve their functional goals again. So the first step is just to let somebody know, yeah. or let their doctors know. That's great. And and that kind of sets up um, you know, oh, one area that I'd like you to educate our, our audience about. Uh, t- t- to me, as a, as a non-physician, it, it's like this alphabet soup of, of, um, of specialties, LVT, CVRT. It seems like there's about four or five of them. I was wondering if you could take a moment to sort of explain some of these uh, uh, some of these you know, acronyms or, or, or letters that people that patients might hear about but not completely understand. So what, we want to start with an LVT. An LVT is a low vision therapist, and these are uh, individuals who have uh, a, pretty much a master's level of education, and they um, evaluate an individual's functional vision and its relation to their vision and disability. Um, so, and they're not what they call certified. So they also have therapists that are certified through the Academy for Certification of Vision Rehabilitation and Educational Professionals, too. Great. And then there's a CVRT? Yeah. So a CVRT is a Certified Vision Rehabilitation Therapist, and um, they also evaluate and train the visually impaired uh, individuals in their home environment and work environment. These people are also... um, uh, involved in training the blind re- uh, people who are blind who have very very low vision too, so that that group of individuals um, have a special type of training and rehabilitation. Great. There's a few more I wanted to ask you about. Uh, CLVT. That's a certified low vision therapist. So um, these individuals are certified certified through the um, the ACVRP. They've passed a. Um, a written exam, they've submitted, you know, a certain number of coursework, a certain number of uh, clinical uh, training as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, next to last one in the alphabet soup here, uh, yeah. OT. Occupational therapist. Mm-hmm. So an occupational therapist are licensed providers and who follow the medical model of uh, rehabilitation. Um, they perform full functional evaluations. They also uh, need a script or a prescription from a licensed provider such as your ophthalmologist, primary doctor, or optometrist. And they basically uh, use um, other, you know, um, other means as well to address what your goals are in addition. So, for example, they'll look at your cognition. They'll look at your motor range of motion, right. sense of touch. Well, and that's they come great. Up, it, seems like yeah. Yeah, it seems like it brings in a lot of the, the challenges that, that people might have. Yeah. yeah. And then lastly, uh, what does a COMS do? So, uh, it's a Certified Orientation and Mobility Specialist. And these individuals evaluate and train um, the person to determine their, person, their position in an environment and to navigate safely from point A to point B. So, for example, um, if someone has difficulty going up and, up and down stairs and curbs, we would refer 
that patient to an orientation mobility specialist to be evaluated and further trained. Um, the specialist also trains the individual with a cane if needed to. And they great. also are certified uh, through the ACV or EP. Well, great. Thank you. This has been real helpful. We already have a few questions coming in that I'd like to turn to. Um, Dr. Broussard, Carol from Ohio has a question um, about the loss of central vision that comes from uh, uh, from macular degeneration. Any, um, you know, is there a particular specialist that is best uh, suited to help someone that loses central vision? And she mentions that this can make it hard to do specific tasks around the house. So sort of a uh, general thoughts about someone that's starting to experience those challenges? Yeah. Um, so... With macular degeneration, as we know, like you said, it affects your central vision, which is your detailed vision. If you have one eye that's much worse than your other, you tend to, individuals lose their ability to uh, to see depth and uh, their contrast sensitivity is reduced. So um, the first step would be to get them to a, uh, a low vision specialist to see if they have the best prescription, because sometimes just making little tweaks in their glasses uh, you know, is beneficial for them. Then to see if there's, a, you know, special aids or devices that can help. Um, and the next step after that would be a referral for rehabilitation, whether it be an occupational therapist or a, a low vision therapist, to help train them better with any devices that are prescribed or to also use adaptive techniques and um, ad environmental adaptations that could help. So one thing that the one thing that also can happen um with the loss of depth with the loss of depth perception is um you know your ability to do certain tasks such as you know hammering a nail or uh, painting your fingernails and things like that um so a rehabilitation specialist can help you achieve those goals well that's that's great help it's very helpful um uh Judy from Pennsylvania uh has a question one um wondering why is it that sometimes glasses will not make your vision better um, if your vision is worse is is worsening? Uh, it seems you know to a lot of people that glasses that's the point of glasses they make your eyesight better. But I was wondering if you could kind of elaborate on that point. Yes, and that's the um, a very common perception that people have. They think that just because their vision is getting worse, uh, they can change their glasses and their vision's going to better get better. That's not always the case. So. Remember that with macular degeneration, glaucoma, uh, diabetic retinopathy, the, the problems are with the ocular health. So for macular degeneration, for example, as it, going back, you lose your central vision. Um, no matter how much we change the lenses in front of your eye, if your retinas are not the same way as they used to be, it's not gonna, going to um, improve your vision. The example that I always give is a camera. And way back in the day, remember film. If you had film, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I in the 1900s, yeah, 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 like film, or even yeah, I always use film because if you have, you know, let, let's say for example, the retina is like the film on a camera. If you have film which has a thumbprint on it or have a spot on it, no matter how much you change the lenses in the front, it's not going to affect the image. It's not going to affect the final, yeah, the final image. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. It's a, it's a great, uh, yeah. great way to describe that. Um, we have two callers who asked very similar questions yeah. about li about lighting around the house. Where um, one one 
one listeners, you know, saying that, that her eyesight is, is, is dimmer than it used to be and how can it make things brighter and another uh, caller wonders if there's special lighting that can help with geographic atrophy. So yeah. I'm kind of assuming those are the similar top questions to bunch together there. Yes, yes. So there is, believe it or not, there is a lot of science behind lighting. So it depends on the color temperature of the light, which I'm not going to get into, but that matters. So what I mean by color temperature, is it a cool light, like a fluorescent light, or is it a warmer light, like the old incandescent? Um, how bright it is, how it's positioned, and whether it's diffuse or direct. So all of that matters. Now, is one better for the other? Uh, is one better than the other? It all depends on what you do. So, for example, someone with geographic atrophy, if they're doing near tasks, they would do better with a direct light focused right on their paper. Um, but, uh, but that may not be the, the case if, you have, if you're in the house, for example. Yeah. And it's also very, very subjective, too. Very oh, subjective. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So there are therapists out there who do specific lighting evaluations um, specific to the task that they – that they're doing, and the environment as well. Yeah, no, that, that's uh, no, really, uh, that's uh, that's interesting. Um, kind of question. I know, I know you're a doctor and not a tax expert, but we had uh, we had one person call and wondering um, how does one be, get labeled or declared legally blind for tax purposes? And certainly, if this question's not you know in your wheelhouse, I understand uh, if we. Oh, moving on. I just wanted to throw it out to you. Yeah, no, no, no. That's actually a very easy question to answer. Um, there is one legal definition of blindness, and that is 2200 acute visual acuity in the better seeing eye or less than 20 degree visual field in the better seeing eye. And you, all you need to do is get a letter from your eye doctor stating that you're legally blind, and that would certify you. Well, great. No, I appreciate yeah. that. That's a very, yeah. a very helpful point. Um, a few more questions that that have come in. Um, we have a question about cataracts. Um, do cataracts make low vision uh, worse, particularly like if you have uh, macular degeneration? Yes, yes, because it limits the amount of light and the quality of light that comes in. So yes, so it can affect your vision, but it's you would have to check with the eye doctor or at the eye exam to determine at what level do they think the cataract is affecting the vision more than the macular degeneration, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Thank you. A yeah. uh, uh, couple questions about special glasses. Uh, uh, Alfred from Oklahoma is wondering what type of specialist could get types, you, you get use some special glasses. And we have also a caller from, from New York that, that you know heard that sometimes glasses like that can make them a little nauseous. Uh, I was wondering if you could... Elaborate, elaborate a little bit about um, uh, you know kind of specialized glasses for low vision. Yeah, um, so a low vision optometrist uh, would have those specialized glasses, and again, it depends on what it is. Is it for reading? Is it for distance? So specialized glasses for distance could be a bioptic telescope. Uh, for reading, it could be a high power uh, reading microscope. It could be a uh, prismatic glass. It could be a telemicroscope. Um, so a low-vision optometrist should uh, have those. Um, the best thing to do is, if you're interested in them, um, contact them directly to see if they have what they think you need. Otherwise, just schedule an appointment, and they can determine that. And the other question was about 
getting nauseous. Is that correct? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I heard uh, someone from New York has heard that sometimes glasses like that can make can make someone nauseous. And that's true because they're high powered lenses, and um, you know some people just adapt differently to it. Um, one of the things that happens is when you make things bigger, which is a lot a lot of what these glasses do, they magnify. Um, so reading glasses for up close make things bigger. Uh, telescopic glasses for distance, not only do they make things bigger, they uh, bring it closer. So what happens with these higher powers is that you're very it's very prone to movement, and the and the stronger the power, the more your head moves, the more nauseous you feel because of that movement. That's that, no, that, that's uh, no, that's interesting. Is that yeah. something that if a person um, communicated that to their specialist, would there be some alternatives mm-hmm. uh, around that, or is it, or is there an acclimation process? Well, both, both. There's acclimation. Pro- I'm sorry, acclimation <laughs> process, and then um, there's also, you know, there's different devices. Like different devices also have different optics. Um, it all depends on what the patient patient's goals are and um, what devices we have that are available. So, yeah, we could work around it, too. And sometimes what I find is that if the higher powers or the stronger glasses make them more nauseous, then sometimes just reducing the power a little bit, making the print bigger. There's a lot of of what we can do. Great. And, uh, uh, you know, a few minutes ago you were really helpful in in, uh, delineating the different type of uh, specialists. So a few questions about seeing a specialist. Um, Mm -hmm. for example, how does, does does one need a referral usually to to see a specialist like the that in, in the categories you mentioned earlier? Um, typically, yes. So, for example, if you're seeing an occupational therapist, um, they need a referral or a prescription from a licensed provider. So, um, and typically, you know, most rehab settings, rehabilitation hospitals or rehab settings have occupational therapists there. Um, But the one thing that's kind of, you know, a little challenging is there's not as many occupational therapists that have specialized in low vision rehabilitation. So the key is trying to find that one specialized OT. Um, So now regarding all the other therapists, um, the CRVTs, LVTs, they typically work with the state agencies or with schools or with uh, with the v- Veterans Administration hospitals as well. Um, so, for example, if I feel that I that one of my patients needs a low vision therapist or a rehab teacher at the home environment, I will take the step to refer them to a state agency or local agency, and then they'll assign them a caseworker, and then from there, then they get assigned the rehab specialists. Well, great. And related to that, um, I was wondering if sort of broadly speaking you could address what tends to be covered by uh, private insurance and also Medicare and Medicaid. And I guess related to that, does it is there a distinction if one's legally blind or not? You know, just sort of if you could sort of address the broad topic of um, uh, how does how does somebody pay for this? Okay. So um, the low vision evaluations uh, are typically covered by Medicare, Medicaid, the the insurances, because the optometrists bill in a or should be billing in a certain way. Um, however, you have to make sure that your insurance is your the provider that you're going to is on the panel of the insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, an occupa- a visit to an occupational therapist also depends on the insurance as well. I, Medicare clearly covers that. Um, re- the 
therapists, the rehab teachers or the LVTs, um, those are not covered by insurances because they're not licensed providers. However, if you're referred, if you go to them through the state, then the state usually covers it. The devices, on the other hand, are not covered by insurances, but they can be co covered by state, the state agencies or vocational uh, rehabilitation agencies through the state. Well, no, I appreciate yeah. that. That's helpful. I think there's a lot of a lot of distinctions for folks. And just mm -hmm. kind of curiosity in in your practice and the patients you see, is there sort of a a common most most frequent way that that you feel your patients, um, uh, you know, daily life is improved, or sort of what what's the the area where you think that that uh, low vision services can can best make an impact. Um, well, with the patient's uh, quality of life, I find that re you know one of the most um, important goals for them is reading. So I feel that if I could just uh, you know give them a help them read again, read what they love yeah. to read again, um, you know that's I, I've accomplished my goal. You know what I what yeah. I'd like to do. Yeah. No, that is that yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so, we think about the. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, no, I was going to. Yeah. So I, I say reading, and also um, to improve. You know, the one thing I didn't, uh, I failed to mention earlier, is that these individuals, at the time of, um, you know, their diagnosis of a eye condition, uh, there is this level of grief that they experience too, because they, you know, there's there's going to be a process that they may lose their vision. So if I could help them, you know, improve their quality of life, that as thus hopefully help them with their adjustment and help their grieving process. Oh, no, then, I think that, that's fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen a lot of the researchers that Bright mm -hmm. Focus has funded, whether it's in vision diseases or, yeah. um, or Alzheimer's, just that importance of, of uh, intellectual and, and social activity mm -hmm. and, and stimulation. So I think that's a, you yeah. know, what you talk about really, you know, seems like it can really make a difference. And, yeah. um, you know, kind of on that same topic of, of quality of life and independence, um, talk for a minute about driving. Uh, my my hunch is that might be a difficult topic, uh, whether that's in your clinic or, or in people's homes. Um, could you comment on that? Yeah, it's an extremely difficult topic for the individual, uh, but a very, very important one, very important one. Now, the one thing um, what's very important to remember is that every state has a legal requirement, and some states are stricter than others. And in some states you can drive with a low vision device and others you cannot. So... Um, you know, we always have to address whether or not they meet the legal requirements, and if they do not, then the discussion follows about not driving. Yeah. Yeah. Any any tips for family members that um, have to uh, address this issue in, in some fashion? Yeah. So what I try to tell the family members is um, first, you know, uh, to be versed on the legal requirements. Um, to be very open with the uh, with their with their loved one, but not to be critical of them, and then you know then bring it up to the their providers, bring it up to their to their doctors, come with them to one of the appointments, and just voice their concerns. Um, and you know what I try to reiterate to the patient and explain in great detail that first and foremost, you know I'm not taking their license away. I'm just relaying the information. Um, regarding their legal requirements. And second of all, I try to focus it, direct, you know, the concern on them, that there is a lot for them to lose if they're in a position where they shouldn't be in. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's, a, that's, a, that's a great point. Kind of related yeah. to uh, yeah. reading and, and, uh, and driving, 
if you have, a, as well, if you if when you come across uh, patients that are um, still interested or needed need to stay in the uh, in the workforce, um, mm-hmm. any tips for how someone should address that with their employer? Because I think that could be awkward. Yes, it's a it's a very difficult um, difficult one for some, but the most important thing to remember for these individuals is that. They do fall under the Americans with Disabilities Act, so they cannot be discriminated against. Mm-hmm. And um, so the best thing to do is, what, you know, when they're ready to discuss it with their direct, you know, their direct uh, manager. Mm-hmm. And any, so oh, any no. tips for how they should have that conversation? Just explain, um, I think, pulling them aside one day and just explaining what the difficulties were and then being open about their eye condition. Um the other thing is, you know, I've had that conversation quite a bit with um, with many patients as well, too. And, you know, there is a, you know, because I know a lot of a lot of individuals are at a fear of losing their job. There, are fear, there There's a lot of fears there. There is an agency, it's a national agency called the Disability Rights Center. So they have um, pro bono uh, attorneys that work for them who provide free legal advice on um, how to address certain issues like that. So I think, for example, a lot of my patients, when they bring it up to me, they, st- they still fear the legal consequence. I'm not an attorney, so I'll refer them to the, to the Disability Rights Center so they have a better, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. No, I know obviously workplaces yeah. vary a lot, but are there sort of common type of accommodations that can that could be made? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I think one of the, um, the simplest ones is getting, a, you know, for people who are on the computer a lot, getting a bigger monitor and just increasing the font size. You know, that's, that's a very simple one, um, and that's one where, you know, people around them won't, be, won't have to know. Um, you know, lighting makes a big difference, too, getting a bigger, bigger light. Um, you know, also if they're dealing with uh, print, you know, if they have print, print um, or paper that's hard to, that's too small to read, put it on a, a um, copier and make it bigger. Or get, you know, we have magnifiers. You can just use a simple magnifier to make things a little bit bigger for them. That's good to know. It's good yeah. to hear that that a topic that can be, yeah. you know, difficult for, for everybody involved seems, uh, from the way you describe it, to have some uh, very attainable, manageable mm-hmm. type of options. Yeah. I think it's kind of, you know, related to the, to you know, you talk about an, what an employer could do. B- big picture, when you look at folks who need uh, low vision services, is there a role that the, fa- what's the best role that a family member can play to be helpful and supportive? Um, just uh, to be there, be open, and not be critical, and um, just be just be a listener, too. And, you know, a lot of family members, like I, I see a lot of different dynamics that come into the office, and what I find is, you know, for some who want to be independent but the family member is hovering, they, you know, it's you know the individual wants to be independent. No, I'm okay. I'm okay. So I think the best is just to meet somewhere in the middle and just be a supportive role. Um, but then, you know, you got the flip side of it, where some family members have are having a more are having harder of a time coping with their loved one's vision loss mm-hmm. because they end up having the primary caregiver role too. Yeah. No, so, I think that. Really, yeah. Very, very challenging. And I know in a prior conversation, I understand that you um, now have a, a recently started or helped lead a, a support group. Mm-hmm. Is that? Um, I was wondering, just if you could tell us a little bit about what does your group do, and kind of what's that experience been like uh, for you as a professional to 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 start in uh, an organization, a, a group like that. 
Oh, it's actually been wonderful. Uh, we started it back in January, so it's been running about eight months now. Um, you know, it came up because one of our patients just felt isolated. He basically wanted to know if there were support groups available so he could talk to people who have who are in a similar boat that he's in. And um, it, you know, fortunately for for me, I had a low a uh, social work intern that was working with me. Her father has macular degeneration and um, and uh, glaucoma, so. When she was working with me, this all came about, and I said, "Do you want to help help me put this together?" And she said, "Absolutely." So she's she and this other um, social worker are leading it with it. So we got very fortunate because one of the things with a support group is you want to have the right moderator to help direct it. Um, so yeah, so it's been great. Uh, we have I think there's about 25 to 30 registered members. We have people from all different backgrounds. Um, one of the things that I found is that there is no real evidence on what the best way to start a support group is. So uh, we had used other models from other um, condition, you know, from other uh, conditions like cancer support groups to to help us establish ours. So, uh, so yeah, so it's been very successful. We have, like I said, people from all different backgrounds, um, all different diseases, uh, ages. You know, I think our oldest is 87, our youngest is 20. And, um, you know, they've, they've really connected with each other as well, too. Oh, well, that's yeah. great. It must be a wonderful, yeah. wonderful experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's turn to, to another question that we got. Um, it has to do with the, the, the computer. Um, we have a question from Pennsylvania about how do I – you know, can a therapist, can a low vision therapist help me with special lighting for uh, for the computer? And and um, uh, you know, I was wondering, Dr. Prasad, did you have any? I know you mentioned earlier about screens and fonts, but are there kind of other other things that could help with computers or or reading uh, print materials as well? Yeah. Um, so the question about the lighting of the computer. Um, now the monitors have become much better than before. So there are the uh, LCD, they're flat screen, so they're easy, you know they're much easier on the eyes. But you could also use, um, you know, there's certain type of filters and that you can put, on, you know, can put over the computer. You could adjust the lighting internally as well, and that is something that a, a therapist can help with too. So someone who specializes in technology assessments mm-hmm. can work with that. And also, um, in an, uh, in an, with an employer, there is um, they have an IT department too. So the IT department can also help with that as well. Yeah. Now, you know, if someone's using a computer, like looking at a, a screen, like using a, a desktop or laptop computer or watching television, does it make a difference if that room is is on the brighter side or on the the dimmer side? Does that does that have any impact on someone with low vision? The the lighter the di- uh, it can. Yes. Yes. Yep. So, for example, people with um, with Certain eye conditions, such as glaucoma or diabetic retinopathy, where they've had the laser treatments, they um, are very sensitive to glare or to, to excessive light and glare. So they would, wouldn't want it that bright. But someone with macular de- degeneration is on the other extreme, or on the other end, I should say, where they would prefer more light. So it all varies based on the patient. That's great. Is that something a low vision specialist could could help customize depending on? on person's uh, situation? Absolutely, because it's very subjective. There's a lot yeah. of theory and there's a lot of science behind it, but in the end, it's very it's very subjective. 
Yeah, probably like most households where people fight over the thermostat and yeah. the, you know, too, too many lights on. Or I, I don't think that's just my house. I think that's probably yeah. <laughs> probably everywhere. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, what, probably uh, another uh, question we got is um, uh, how does one go about um, finding uh, uh, either a low vision specialist or um, an ophthalmologist uh, uh, in their area? Are there any common uh, resources that, that could help? Yeah, um for the two main resources, well, for a low vision specialist, a low vision optometrist, the American Acad um, Optometric Association has a list. Um, you can also contact the state agencies. They would have a list of low vision optometrists. And with an ophthalmologist, again, the American Academy of Ophthalmology is a great resource um, mm -hmm. for, you know, academy members um, or contacting your local or state agencies, too. Great, and we also have that information at um, similar uh, at brightfocus.org. There's links that um, that uh, that take to those places, and um, yeah, you know, it, I think it's it's um, it, it's really helpful. So, Dr. Prasad, I just want to sort of wrap up today. Um, you know, you, you said you've been doing this for uh, a number of years. Are there any kind of recurring themes or messages that you like to give to your patients, or is there a common misperception that you uh, often try to, to, to rebut or sort of any kind of big-picture advice yeah. that you try to impart <laughs> to your to your patients? Yeah, I always tell them, um, don't lose hope and don't give up. <laughs> I get patients who, and, uh, you know, uh, rightly so, they're frustrated, they're grieving, they're depressed, they're upset. There is hope out there when it comes to helping you uh, become more functional. We can help you. You know, that's our field. We can't bring back the vision that you've lost, that the patient's lost, but we can use what you have and make it better or make it more useful for you. And the key is to be, uh, to keep your, you know, to keep your hopes up, keep, you know, try to be motivated and just, just let us help you. Yeah, well, that is wonderful, and I think on yeah. that very uh, inspirational note, yeah. I'd like to uh, to conclude the the conversation. And Dr. Prasad, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I you know, I, I'm very confident that our listeners found um, found a number of your points uh, helpful oh, in, in their in their thank in you. their daily life and their their families' lives. On behalf of uh, of everyone at Bright Focus, Dr. Prasad, thank you very much for for uh, for being a part of this, and to our listeners, thank you for. Uh, uh, for joining us. So this, this concludes today's Bright Focus chat. The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.